0: Are gathered together today in the presence of God and in the sight of all of these witnesses to unite Mika Kurutz and Clara Broquet in the sacred covenant of marriage. On this day of commitment and new beginnings, it seems fitting to open with the words that the Bible recounts were often spoken in ancient Israel in such times. The dedication of the tabernacle, of the temple, or even the commencement of a battle would typically begin with some form of these words. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Indeed, our thanks is first to God for His marvelous love that brings us here today. And we also want to thank the people through whom he has faithfully expressed his great love into these two lives. So to begin, I have to ask, how in the world did this happen? What are the chances that we would be here today? Think about it. If we back up just a little bit, about 30 years ago, a Hungarian man married a German woman, and they had a son in Canada. And around the same time, a French man who grew up in Mexico married a Venezuelan woman and had a daughter. So now the Hungarian-German-Canadian son and the French-Mexican-Venezuelan daughter are in Israel about to be married by a guy from Texas. (laughs) It's just the way you planned it from the beginning, right? (laughs) It has been said, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) Just a few years ago, neither of you could have even imagined this union today. You both had other very different pursuits that occupied your attention, other things that you thought you wanted in life. Yet now here you are, wanting this relationship with each other more than any other on earth. It's almost frightening, isn't it, to consider that the things in life that are now the most meaningful to you were once all but impossible to anticipate. This is partly because when we begin the journey of life, we often simply don't know exactly what it is that we want. We may have a vague sense of it, a longing for meaning and purpose, a longing for love, but we don't know exactly where to find it. I remember a time when my first son was maybe a year old and I was still adjusting to the many challenges of being a parent. He was crying and crying and I couldn't figure out what to do to make him happy. Exasperated, I asked his mother, what does he want? He's been fed, and changed, he has all his toys, he doesn't want to lay down, what does he want? My wife grew up in a large family and had much more experience with babies than I did. She said, oh honey, he doesn't know what he wants. He just needs to go to sleep, and he's fighting against it, and it was true. And the same thing is true for all of us, even as we grow older we often don't know what we really want. And we sometimes even fight against it, against the very things that we need most. As Jesus said when he wept over Jerusalem, we don't know the things that would give us peace. They're hidden from our eyes. Nonetheless, there's some seed of anticipation deposited deep within us. For as Solomon wrote, God has planted eternity in the human heart. We have a sense of destiny, though we struggle to clearly define it. It's like a dream, a feeling that's hard to articulate, but that nonetheless, we long to somehow realize. But though a caterpillar may dream of flying, can he possibly imagine the metamorphosis he must undergo to reach his destiny as a butterfly. So we too often fail to understand that in order for the dream to come to pass, it is not our circumstances that must change. It is we who must undergo a change, a change that's often greater than we can imagine. When I married Amanda almost 26 years ago, I knew enough to expect some surprises as I got to know her better. I expected I would learn things about her that I never knew before. And I did. But what really surprised me was the things I began learning about myself. I just didn't anticipate how much loving her was going to change me into a person that I myself could hardly recognize. And that's the journey of discovery that you two embark upon today. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word give in this passage means to designate, to appoint, ordain, or assign. So it can read, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will determine the desires of your heart." In other words, this passage is not a promise that in exchange for our affections, God will give us whatever we think we desire. It is instead a promise that if we will center our lives in a genuine relationship with Him, if the caterpillar can trust his Maker enough to enter the cocoon, God will then be able to shape even our desires, to align with His plans, which are always far better than ours. We may think the only path to happiness is to feed our caterpillar appetites as we destroy the life around us, but God knows there's an entirely different and higher purpose we were created to fulfill, a beautiful, selfless life that brings hope to the flowers. And if we'll let him, he can change us into the people that we really long to be. This has been the way of the people of God throughout history. Their lives unfold in a journey of tremendous personal transformation. One of the greatest of all literary critics, Eric Auerbach, has observed a profound distinction between the characters of the Bible and the heroes depicted in other ancient literature such as those of Homer and the Greek epics. Men like Abraham and Joseph have far greater depths of character and layers of meaning in their stories than do the Greek heroes. Auerbach tells us that this is because the biblical characters undergo a process of change through their relationship with the God of the Hebrews. As he shapes them, through the painful lessons of their human failures into men and women of character, people who remain always conscious that they are participants in a drama of transcendent significance. In contrast, the heroes of the Greek epics, such as Odysseus, are never conscious of a higher purpose. They are flat and one-dimensional driven only by their own ambitions and lust for power and glory. Their stories occur on famous battlefields and in the gilded halls of royal palaces. Yet Odysseus, for example, returns from his great voyage to Ithaca twenty years later, unchanged in his essence. He is exactly the same person who began his odyssey, except, perhaps, that he is more skilled in his cunning manipulations, more efficient in feeding his selfish desires. The biblical characters, on the other hand, do not enter the scene as superheroes. They are very ordinary people, mostly depicted in domestic scenes, in the fields, in the desert with their flocks, working out their marriages and family relationships, often making painful mistakes. Yet God himself is personally involved in their stories, forming and shaping them through their trials into completely different people. So Auerbach says that without destroying them, in essence, God produces from them forms which their youth gave no grounds for anticipating. In other words, God is in the business of unlikely transformations, of turning ugly, selfish caterpillars into graceful, productive butterflies. Consider for a moment the story of Joseph. He begins as a youth with big dreams. When he goes out looking for his brothers, they sneer, Here comes that dreamer. We can perhaps picture how Joseph's teenage mind must have imagined that his dreams would come to pass. But whatever he imagined is surely not what happens next, for his jealous brothers throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery in Egypt. His poor father is told a lie and gives him up for dead. For years Joseph nonetheless tries to make the best of it and be faithful as a slave in Potiphar's house. Then. Just when it seems things are going better, he's falsely accused and thrown into Pharaoh's dungeon. Over and over, year after year, Joseph is abused, betrayed, lied about, forgotten, stripped of everything he once had. How many times must he have wondered what had become of his dreams? Yet through all these reductions, Joseph is being transformed, his character refined, and the true gifts of God inside of him revealed. He gives his dreams and plans to God and believes it will somehow all be for the good, though he cannot imagine how. Then after his remarkable rise to power, we're amazed to see that he's still looking for his brothers. He's not bitter. resentful. He's hoping against hope that somehow they too have been reduced enough to attain a transformation of character. In the end, his hopes are not disappointed, for his brother Judah, out of love and care for his father, agonizingly offers to sacrifice his own life in the place of his little brother Benjamin. Joseph begins to weep for joy, and then, suddenly, everyone's long-abandoned dreams are coming to pass. Imagine the moment when Joseph's brothers finally return to the dusty tent of their anxiously waiting father, and they tell him, Dad, you might think that dreams don't come true, but once in a while, they do. So you see, there are two paths, two ways of reaching for your dreams. One, like Odysseus, is a quest for innovation, to write your own story, to selfishly grasp for your own ideas and plans. The other path is a journey of discovery, to find the courage to give God your dreams and let Him write your story. Then, as you yield yourself to His plans, He can bring beauty from ashes, making something of you which your past life and circumstances gave no reason to expect. Mika and Clara, you both went through times when you grasped for the pen and tried to write your own story. But the things that would have brought you peace were hidden from your eyes. So your dreams seemed only an illusion and sometimes even became nightmares. As the proverb warns, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. George Bernard Shaw once said that becoming slaves to our own desires is an appropriate definition of hell. Hell, he said, is where you must do what you want to do. Yet even in your lowest misery, God held out a promise to you just as he spoke through Jeremiah to the children of Israel when they were still captives in Babylon. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and not for evil, plans to give you hope and a future. Mika, the first time I remember meeting you was in a little conference room in Zikron. Your dad had told Brother Ossie and myself about his wayward son and pleaded with us to try to help you. You had reluctantly agreed to meet us. Black despair hung over you that day, like an angry storm cloud. Yet I thought I could see in your haunted eyes a little glimmer of hope. A hope that maybe, just maybe, there was a way out of the depression and despondency caused by your terrible choices. Not long after that, you made the courageous decision to trust, the choice to believe the love that God had for you. And above the storm, the smallest prayer was heard by a merciful God. As you clung to that hope and followed that promise, God filled you with His Holy Spirit and everything began to change. Today, you bear almost no resemblance to the tortured young man I met a few years ago in that conference room. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His love endures forever. Clouda, you too went through a caterpillar season in your life, pursuing your own plans. Even after you first surrendered the pen to God and asked Him to write your story, there were still moments when you were tempted to doubt The Lord allowed the stubbornness of the United States Immigration Department to test your faith and redirect your path several times as you tried unsuccessfully to get a visa for another trip to Texas. So you came to Israel instead. And look what happened. You see, even our best intentions don't compare to God's plans. For we look back now and see that your decision not to lose heart, but to put your dreams in God's hands and come to Israel in faith, opens new doors of hope, not only for you, but for your sister and others. As the song says, love was only waiting for your choice to trust. Now as you are here today, ready to begin a new life together, I want to remind you both not to forget how much you owe to the pioneers who've gone before you. Without them, none of the miracles you've experienced would have been possible. I wish I had time to tell the remarkable story of your grandparents, Micha, who repeatedly took dangerous steps of faith from war-torn Europe to Canada and finally through many setbacks and tribulations to the land of Israel. Just a few nights ago, I was privileged to again hear your father recount all the trials your grandparents endured, and how their example set a precedent for your parents to take their own steps of faith. Claudia, the same could be said for your parents, who diligently prayed for this moment when it was still only a dream. They're not the same people who began the journey and their willingness to be molded and redirected by a higher purpose set an example and opened the way for you today. And now as the two of you embark on your own portion of the journey, it's your turn to carry the torch, to continue in the footsteps of this heritage of radical faith. Now in closing, I must warn you also that it's not enough merely to begin the journey You must be faithful unto the end. Far too many people put their hand to the plow, but then look back. It's even possible to miraculously escape Egypt through the Red Sea, only to then die in the wilderness for lack of faith for the next step. So a true pilgrim must never stop short, never settle for less than the full light of God's truth. You must never grow complacent, never rest on your own victories or those of your predecessors, no matter how wonderful and crucial those earlier steps may have been. Remember the heart of Joseph, how even after what seemed to be the fulfillment of all his dreams, at the end of his life, he told the generations to come, God will surely visit you and take you farther than we are today. And when you take those next steps of faith into the land of promise, take my bones with you. Mika and Clara, I can sum all this up by saying that your lessons and discoveries are not over. In many ways, they're just beginning. Greater transformation awaits you. There will be many more challenges and tests of your faith, many more occasions when you must make the choice to trust Marriage is nothing if not a daily choice to sacrifice your own ambitions for the sake of greater love. So today, you're making a promise that you will never give up on love, because love never gave up on you. And now it's your turn to prove with your lives that the Lord is good, and His love endures forever that his faithfulness continues through all generations. Mika and Clara, in a world troubled by broken dreams and failed relationships, we commission you today to spread your butterfly wings and be a voice of hope, as today we realize at least a measure of an ancient promise spoken through Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, You say about this place, It is a desolate waste, without people or animals. Yet in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who bring thank-offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, and His love endures forever.